great because tonight's the Q&A. We're going we're gonna to have a time of questions and answers from the Bible. And then next week, we start a new series. We just finished 2 Kings. We were, get this, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, two and a half years we were in that. So I, I think it's safe to say it was not a jet tour through the Bible. We're taking our time, biting off just one piece of Scripture at a time and chewing it up. And uh, the next series will start next week, and it's going to be the book of Ruth. We're going to study the book of Ruth. And I'm thinking because it's a smaller book, we'll follow it up with the book of Esther. And uh, they're both, you, you don't be mistaken, they're, they're going in two different directions completely. But the subject matter of both books are things that I think today in this society, in this culture, uh, excellent studies and things that we need to be reminded of. So that's where we'll go next week. But tonight we are in a QA. and a I want to welcome our live stream audience for joining us. Um, I put out a post on Facebook about uh, two weeks ago, and I talked about the importance of, as a Christian, being in a church where you have a shepherd. Uh, the Bible talks about pastors as shepherds, and it talks about the body, the congregation, as sheep. And Jesus used that terminology. He talked about himself as the good shepherd. And he talked about, he even warned the shepherds of Israel, and he warned the shepherds in the New Testament to be faithful shepherds. And uh, having a shepherd is important. Uh, people who watch from a live stream or people who have a go to a satellite campus or people who will stay home, I know years ago, you know, you'd watch the television broadcast of some preacher somewhere. And, you, and I've had, I remember people would say, well, he's my pastor. And they're referring to some famous preacher that they would listen to on television. That's my pastor. And I, I would say to them lovingly and carefully, but no, that's not your pastor. He doesn't know you. He, he's not your pastor. You're listening to, you like a certain preacher, but for him to be your pastor means he knows you. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Why? Because they know me. And so tonight, what I'm saying is to the live stream audience, it's good to have live stream because some people can't be here. They live in another state, whatever, that's fine. But whenever, it, this should never be the substitute for being in a local church where you're under the leadership of a, of a faithful, loving shepherd. And uh, so just throw that out there. But we do welcome those who, who just maybe live in other parts of the country or maybe they're just shut in, they can't get out. So we're glad that we can provide live streaming. Tonight, we are going to look at Q&A, questions and answers. You folks submitted the questions. I just took time to try to study the scripture and give you an answer. So let's get started tonight with prayer. Uh, Father, we lift up the Neiman family tonight who had twins born and one had open heart surgery and was doing well. And now all of a sudden, uh, the blood pressure has dropped, and they're discovering, I think, a blood clot, and there's the, they're in surgery at this moment. So we lift up this little baby, this little infant, and we pray that, God, you would be with the doctors, give them clarity of mind, give them steady hands to minister to this child. We thank you, Lord, and we give you all the glory because you're the one that gave man the mind. Some people have a mind to understand the depths of the human body and to minister to that body. And so we, we just ask for your hand to be on this little child and on those who are tending in this surgery to that child. We also lift up every person here tonight. No, I, I have no clue what each person brings into the room tonight in terms of uh, their heaviness or their joy, their celebration. We're, we've all uh, got our issues that go on from day to day. I pray that tonight your Holy Spirit would minister very subjectively to each person here, uniquely, that they would, by the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the Scripture, the, the words that are shared that are your words, would, would really minister to them in a unique way. And then corporately, as a collective body, Lord, you speak to us as well. So may we get the message loud and clear, what you're saying. And we give you praise and honor and thanks for the privilege of worshiping you through the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, so let me just fire through the questions that were asked uh, that, that I took note on. One is, why pray for people if God already knows who will be saved in the end? Great question. We do know that uh, our names are written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. So God does know every single person who will be saved. He has foreknowledge. So if that's true, and it is, why even pray? Because God already knows. So we're going to address that. Secondly, how can we feel the presence of God? How can we feel the presence of God? Thirdly, is the end of time close? What are the signs of the end times? And are we seeing them now? That's a great question. I think that third question I'm going to hold till the end. And we're going to go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, where Jesus actually answers that very question, okay? Number four, once you are saved, can you lose your salvation? I'm not going to teach on that tonight because uh, Pastor Brenton did a wonderful job back on February the 5th of this year in our Sunday morning service, and he taught on that very topic, and it was excellent. Um, so if you go, like now, you could go to the website and look it up, or you could go to YouTube and under uh, Simple and Pure Truth, that's our uh, YouTube uh, channel, and you can subscribe, and it'll bring up all the sermons, and you can go back to February, uh, what did I say, the 5th, yes, February 5th, and it's titled, Can You Lose Your Salvation? Pretty clear and simple, right? And that way you can get the answer there. Um, number four or number five is, are guardian angels assigned to us? That's an, you know, that's an interesting question. We're going to look at that. And then lastly, what will be our next study, verse by verse on Wednesday night? Book of Ruth. Okay, so we already answered that one. Let's go home. All right, we're good. Um, Number one, why pray for people if God already knows who will be saved in the end? Um, I'm going to say this. All these questions, there's a website that does a very good job. Not, I don't agree with everything they say. or I can't say I disagree with what they say. It's just that maybe I see it a little differently or there's other scripture I wish they would have brought in to their answer. But... Uh, it's called gotquestions.org. You should write that down. gotquestions.org. And on that website, they do an excellent job of explaining the Scripture. You know, that's all that preaching is. When Paul said, he, he said to young Timothy, when he charged him, he said, preach the Word. And what that means is explain, expound, uh, exegete the Word of God. Explain it to people. So if you go to that website, they do a pretty good job explaining the Scripture, and, and you'll get a lot of answers. And tonight, on this particular question, uh, why pray for people if God already knows who will be saved in the end? Um, I actually went to the website and I thought, okay, do I answer it or do I just send people to the website? It was that good of an answer. But I'm going, to, I'm going to take a moment and just give you an excerpt from that website, okay? Uh, one reason to pray is because God commands us to pray. It's in Scripture. We're commanded to pray. We're being disobedient if we don't pray. So here's God who has foreknowledge, knows everything before it happens. He's sovereign, meaning nothing slips out of His hand everything. He sees all, knows all. He's on top of everything. And he, he knows the end from, or he knows the, be, the end from the beginning. So therefore, why pray? Well, first and foremost, because he's God and he has wired you to pray. He's opened the channel, the opportunity for you to pray. There is this balance, and this is what I want to say to you. Please hear this. There is this beautiful dance in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation between the sovereignty of God, the predestination of God, and man's responsibility, man's 
freedom to choose. If anybody ever tries to only take one side and say, no, it's all about sovereignty, man does not have the right to choose, then they're not reading the Bible I'm reading. It is loaded with Scripture about man's responsibility. There's just no getting around it. And then if somebody on the other side says, yeah, it's all about human responsibility, that's what it's about, that God doesn't know everything, He leaves some things in the dark, and He's able, Jesus didn't know. Okay, I'm just telling you right now, God is sovereign. There are no surprises with God. And so you say, well, how do those two fit? And here's my answer after studying the Greek and the Hebrew. I have no clue. The Bible's not clear on it. It does not give us a clear, easy answer on how to explain everything about God's sovereignty and man's choice. I just know they're both scriptural. They're both in the Bible. And we have to try to walk that the way the Scripture teaches it. So the hard answer that you really don't want to hear because it doesn't give you the answer you want is, uh, do should I pray? Yes. Why? Because you're obeying God. But that doesn't mean that that explains why uh, you should pray for the lost when God already knows which lost will be saved. Now, I will take you further in that to explain it. Okay, let's do that. But before we do, let me give you some passages about the being obedient to God. Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious in anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. So God, under, through the Holy Spirit, inspiring Paul in his writings, is saying... I want you to be specific in your prayers, even though I already know what you're going to pray. And so in your human mind, you're like jumping ahead, okay, well then why pray? We, you're not God, so just do what he tells you to do. Pray, pray. Now we'll give a better answer in just a moment. James 5.13, listen to this one. Speaking of the church, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Here again. The Bible's loaded with Scripture, the importance of prayer. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. That's healing of both. It could be a physical healing. It could be, it's a salvation. It's a, it's a healing of your, your sinful condition. Um, the prayer of a righteous person, listen, has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, if you just take that one passage, it would lead you to think, man, I can ask anything I want. And all of a sudden, you see this, this modern false teaching of the word of faith. I speak it, and God does it. And they get that primarily, first and foremost, from God creating the universe. He spoke the world into existence. And now, basically, that teaching says, I'm a little God because I can do everything that Jesus did and more because the Scripture says that greater things than these will you do, which they take completely out of context. So now, all of a sudden, you're just speaking it, and it happens. Okay, well, that's not scriptural. It's just not. But you are to pray. But your prayer needs to, listen now, line up with God's will. That's the key to effectual praying. God answers prayers that are according to His will. If it's His will, do you think it'll happen? As a sovereign God, hello. Yes, it will. So really what prayer is about, listen, it's not me conducting or directing God. It's not me enlightening God to the situation. Lord, I'm, I'm not sure you get it. So I'm, I'm going to help you here. And here's what we need you to do. If you'll do this and this, then we'll get the right thing going here in this situation. And God's up in heaven going, slow down. Let me write that down. Oh, my goodness, that's so good. Thank you for your help. 
That's not the way prayer works. Prayer is more for you than anything else. It's teaching you to discern, to line up with the Word of God. You won't be able to pray effectually if you have no time in the Word of God where you're learning about Him and knowing what His will is. And if somebody ever asks you, what's the will of God for your life? Or what, 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 I, I don't know the will of God, Pastor Greg. Okay, generally they're talking about a material thing or a physical thing. I don't know who I'm supposed to marry. He hasn't presented the right girl yet. So I've been praying for that, you know, but I don't know God's will on who he wants me to marry. That's not what the Bible primarily means by the will of God. You know what it means? Know this. This is the will of God. And when you know this, then you'll know how to pray according to it. So that's key. That really is essential. That's foundational for a Christian. Learn to pray according to God's will. Learn to pray God's prayers. By the way, that's what Jesus did when the disciples said, teach us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is telling them, if you want to pray, write prayers. Then you're trying to see and understand and discern what God's will is, and you're praying that he would bring that down to the earth because it's already in heaven. We don't need to try to add to it, right? So there, there's just so, there's so much in this. Uh, we, could go, we could spend a lot of time in this, but I'm just trying to help you here. Uh, prayer is a form of serving God because you're lining up with God. You're learning more about the will of God and how to minister God, who he is on, on this earth. Uh, we pray because God commands it. Write this passage down. I'm not going to turn. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Philippians, I did read to you 4, 6, but add 7 to that as well. Now, another reason to pray is that God intends prayer to be the means of obtaining his solutions in a number of situations. So now all of a sudden, we start to see why we should pray for lost people, even though God already knows who's saved. Because prayer is about fulfilling God's will on the earth, right? And my prayers are intended or a means of obtaining God's solution in a situation. What is the greatest concern of God on this earth today? Well, salvation of sinners, right? He came to seek and save what? Lost people. Okay, that's the greatest concern of God. So when you pray, you are praying for lost people. Now, unfortunately, that's not the way we pray. Most of our prayers are this kind of a prayer. God, I pray that you provide the right job for my friend. God, I pray that you would uh, provide, they've been waiting for five years to buy a home. Lord, open the right door for the right home for them. We pray about things. We pray about materialism. We pray about physical things. When Jesus prayed, that's not what he prayed for. Jesus prayed much differently. His prayers were that their eyes would be open spiritually. He prayed that they would see the depths of their own sin that they would come to God on God's terms of peace. He prayed spiritual prayers. Why? Because he's trying to bring God's desire, God's solution to man's problem. He's not staying up on the surface with what man thinks his need is. He's saying, no, let's go down where God is really trying to do a work. Because if I can, if, if I can pray and God changes that person on the inside, their marriage will get better in most, in most cases. Now, it's a, you know, a two-way street. Most people have to put the time in to make a marriage better. But at least on your part, you're doing your part now. Because you weren't just praying for God to change your marriage. You're saying, Lord, change me spiritually so that our marriage has a chance the way you designed it. Make sense? So this is real important. It's very important that we understand uh, how, the importance of prayer, okay? And then he also wants us to pray for others. A ton of scripture on that, the importance of praying for others. Uh, it's important because it fulfills 
a New Testament command. 1 Timothy 2.1, let me tell you what it says. Pray for all people. Now, God knows everything, yet the same God who knows everything is telling you to pray for everybody. Okay, here's another one. 1 Timothy 2.2, pray for government leaders. Okay, here's another one. 1 Timothy 2.4, pray for the unsaved. You say, so why should I pray for lost people when God already knows who will be saved? Because God uses us as part of his plan to redeem others. He gave us the responsibility of sharing the gospel. He gave us the responsibility of praying before we share the gospel that God's will would be done in the people that we meet today. It, it just changes everything. Here's another one. We are to pray for fellow Christians, Ephesians 6.18. We are to pray for ministers of the gospel, Ephesians 6.19-20. We are to pray for the persecuted church, Hebrews 13.3. If you don't already subscribe to or go to um, a couple sites to understand what's going on in the world and how many Christians are being persecuted and what countries are the worst at persecuting Christians, you need to go, I would say, subscribe to the Voice of Martyrs, Voice of the Martyrs. They'll send you a monthly magazine that gives you updates on what's happening around the world and the salvations that are coming all over the world, even through persecution. Here's another one, Open Doors USA. They actually have a top, I think it's a top 50 list. Guess what country is number one for persecution in the world today? North Korea. Number one. They actually tell you. So now you know how to pray. Where the persecution is the greatest, it's the most intense. Open Doors USA, one word. Open Doors USA. I think it's .org. Okay? So the scripture clearly teaches us to be praying for others. Okay, very important. We're to pray for fellow Christians, Ephesians 6, 18. We're to pray for the ministers. We're to pray for others uh, to get their focus off of self and back onto God. Okay, uh, pray that people will turn back to God. Galatians 6, 2 is part of that. So pray for others to help that God would, would open their eyes to see the, the sinful condition that they're in and that they would turn back to God, that they would begin to pursue a life of sanctification, being set apart by God, being conformed to the image of Christ. So that's the first question, and that's the first answer that I'm giving you. Let's go to the second one. How can we feel the presence of God? Now, let me just say, we did a teaching back in the beginning of Bureau Bible Fellowship that lasted probably about seven or eight, maybe ten weeks on the work of the Holy Spirit. We just took the Scripture, everything that the Scripture says about the work of the Holy Spirit, and we taught it. And one thing we learned pretty quickly in that series is that while, while emotion can absolutely be a byproduct of the work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life, it is never the focus of the believer's life. We don't live for the experience. We don't live for the emotional high. Okay? That's not what the work of the Spirit's about. Those things are like the, that's like the, the icing on the cake. Sometimes you do feel emotional, right? The Bible says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. There's a place for emotion. There's a place for expression in Scripture. So don't, don't be one of these Christians that thinks that, that anybody who shows expressiveness, that they're wrong. They are biblical. But that never does that stuff lead the believer. What leads us is understanding the Word and understanding the work of the Spirit in the Word. So every born-again believer has the indwelling Holy Spirit. Yet the Scripture talks about infilling, and in the, and in the verb uh, and in the, uh, the structure, the grammatical structure uh, in the Greek, it actually says it's an ongoing filling. It's not just a one-time filling. Every day He wants to fill you fresh and new. 
so that you are being used of God. Now, sometimes you can experience something. You can feel the presence of the Lord, okay? But most of the time for me, I'm just speaking for me, I don't feel it. But here's what I do. I know it. I know He's at work. I know He's in me. I know He's with me when I travel and speak to people. Why? Because I know the Word of God and what it says about the Holy Spirit. That's where you want to live from day to day, on what you know, not on what you feel. Now, as you are living on what you know, every once in a while, this incredible feeling overflows. You know, it's like, it's that Ippy experience in the Bible, E-P-I. It's, the, it's, it's uh, just a wonderful thing when the Holy Spirit flows over you. He overflows you. And that's what it is. It's, it's, it's the Lord just filling me up to the point where it, it's like, you know, this vase. If I took this plant out of the vase and I started pouring water from a pitcher into the vase and it's sitting here and, and I stop just short of, that's the Spirit filling you. And the purpose for that filling, when He fills you, is for you to grow, to be conformed to the image of Christ. So you're growing in the Word. He's filling you. But, there are the, but He doesn't want to stop there. He keeps pouring. And now it overflows. That's not for you. That is for others. So what would happen if I kept pouring water into, a, into this little vase and it overflowed? It's going to hit everything on the table. Ladies, you're going to be very upset with me for doing that if, that if that were to happen. But see, that's the point. When he overflows us, all of a sudden now others, he's working in them through us. Not that you're doing something or putting on a performance. It's just that's his work. They, he brings attention to what he's doing in you. That's a beautiful thing. And sometimes you sense, you feel the presence of that work going on in your life and through you to others. But a lot of times, I don't sense it. I just know it. I, I love, you ought to look it up on YouTube. There's a short video. Uh, you ever, are, are any of you familiar with Alistair Begg? Alistair Begg, he's a preacher. He's from Scotland. And uh, I'm sorry, let me get back over. I'm messing Brandon up. I'm walking around. He had it stationary. Um, Alistair Begg is a Presbyterian pastor. He's from Scotland, so he's got that Scottish voice, you know, and that makes him sound so intelligent, but he really is intelligent. And uh, he, he talks about on this YouTube video about traveling and going to a church somewhere out west on a Sunday morning, and he walks in and sits down, and they had a countdown, you know, and they get to the end of the countdown, and the, the worship pastor comes out, and the first words out of his mouth, how are y'all feeling today? And he gives his response to that. And he's thinking, how am I feeling? And he's like, what does it matter how I'm feeling? You want to know how I'm feeling? I'll tell you how I'm feeling. I'm feeling like when I was driving in and there was a lot of traffic and I was ticked off mad at the car. In front. I'm, you know, I'm feeling like I want to kick the dog. I'm so upset. Don't ask me how I'm feeling. Ask me what I know to be true about God. Take me there. And all of a sudden, the attitude that I brought into church begins to dissipate because now I see God for who He is. Tell me what I know about the verity of Scripture. That's where I find my strength. And guess what? And in that, you start feeling excited. You start wanting to raise your hands and worship God. It can come out of that. So please don't hear me saying that we shouldn't show emotion. It's that that should not lead us, okay? And so praying for others, and then now we're on this feel the presence of God. So it's wonderful when it happens, but don't live for the presence of for feeling the presence. Just know that the presence of God is with you. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit's in you. You say, yeah, but I'm doing, I messed up today. I did bad things. I feel like the Spirit left me. He was so ticked off and mad at me. He never leaves you. Never. It's just that you're not walking in the Spirit when you did that. So it's almost like you're hindering the Spirit from filling you. You are. He's trying to keep you on this path of conforming to the image of Jesus, and you took a side road for a minute in your life. 
But he's still there, and he still loves you, and he's still trying to conform you. So he's always with you. Know that. And when a feeling does come, be thankful for it. You know, I love it when it happens. Sometimes for me, the feeling comes when it's just a quiet, solemn moment. And a thought comes into my mind. I could be driving down I-95 and maybe I'm listening to a sermon or something. And then a thought hits me about God, about something in his word. And all of a sudden I feel strengthened by the Lord, you know, in that moment. But most of the time, it's just what I know and growing in what I know. So hopefully that, does that help at all? Okay. Uh, yes, you can feel the presence of God, but you're going to be a frustrated Christian if you're trying to live there every day. And there are Christians who try to live there every day. Okay. Uh, let's not be those kind of Christians. Now, let's move on. Um, let's, let's go ahead. Let's skip over the, uh, the end times question. Let's get away from that just for a moment. And let's go on back to, uh, to the last question. Where is it? Yeah, are guardian angels assigned to us? Okay. Uh, well, Matthew 18.10 states, See that you do not look down on, the, on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. So in the context of this, what does it mean, these little ones? It could either apply to those who believe in him, or it could refer to the little ones that he talked about in verse 3 through 5. Uh, this is the key passage regarding why people say that everybody has a guardian angel. Okay, they use that passage. There is no doubt that angels do minister to people on the earth. And they bring protection at times. They bring guidance at times. Uh, they provide for. We see that in Scripture where the angels came and ministered to uh, those in the Bible. So the angels are at work. But here's the key to this question. If, if you think for a second that everybody has a guardian angel 24-7, that's extra biblical. It's not in the Bible. It does not say that. Okay? And here's the problem with that way of thinking. If everybody has a guardian angel, then who are you going to look to for your help that day? You're no longer looking at God because you know you got a guardian. Maybe you even start praying to your guardian angel. Lord, thank you for sending my guardian angel. I pray that today my guardian angel will blah, blah. It's crazy what people can do. So we know that they do minister, but we do not see in Scripture that everybody has a guardian angel with them 24-7. It's not true. Okay? This idea at night when our kids go to sleep, Lord, you know, I pray that your angels protect and whatever. Um, pray to God that God will minister. If he chooses to send an angel, that's his work, right? But maybe he does it a different way. So we're not trying to focus on the angels. We're focusing on God. And God does the work however he chooses. But there are times where, in the Bible, angels ministered to human beings, and it happens. So we know that, okay? So now let's go back and let's look at this other question and we'll finish up here. We'll spend the remainder of our time. Is the end time close? What are the signs and are we seeing them now? So I want you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 24. And uh, this is the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24. Olivet Discourse, meaning that Jesus is giving the final somewhat of a sermon and he's doing it in the area of the Mount of Olives, the Olivet Discourse. Now, an interesting thing has occurred here early in this chapter. We're going to pick it up at, at verse 3, but I do want to focus on verse 1 and 2 for a second. I want to set this up. So it says in verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was going away. And when he, now, let me explain where we are in context. This is Passover week. Jesus came in on Sunday riding on the back of a donkey. 
and everybody praised him. This is the triumphal entry week. Now it's probably Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. He has spent the entire time all week at the temple, ministering, chasing out changes. Amen. The Lord is saying, are you listening tonight? Some of you are starting to nod. That was close. Do you mind if I just go down low as I'm speaking? Wow. I, I wish you could have seen what I saw. And that happened. I saw the flash, and then I heard the thunder, and I saw in this room people ducking. That was great. Okay. How do we recover from that? Wow. There's another one. Yeah. We'll do our best, okay? Here's what I know. I can preach extra long tonight because you can't, you can't leave. I just love that. Okay. So setting this up, Jesus has been at the temple all week, or early part of the week, the final week of his life, and ministering. And now they leave the temple. And let's pick it back up. They left the temple and were going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings, buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these? Do you not know? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, why would they come to him and say, Lord, look at the temple, how beautiful it is. Look at the temple. Isn't that something? It's just so gorgeous, so beautiful. And he's like, uh, let me explain to you what's about to happen. So he tells them something's about to occur, and that temple's going to be destroyed. You're putting your focus on the wrong thing. Now look at verse 3. Come into verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus himself is going to address the question that we're asking tonight. Um, now understand this. When, he, when they were asking him this question, they were not thinking about him dying and being resurrected and then uh, establishing his kingdom. They were thinking about him dying, but before he dies, he'll establish his kingdom. They still see Messiah in the Old Testament being the one who sets Israel free. And what was the threat to Israel at that time? The Romans. They had occupied Jerusalem. So they're looking for an immediate issue to be resolved. That's how they approach him. So tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So Jesus will answer their question in two parts. In the first part of, the, of this chapter, he will address the immediate situation that the Jews were facing with the Romans and, and the disciples. And he's also speaking in, of the future church age, which was going to start as soon as the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, right? So he's addressing the immediate issue. We, we are still living in the church age. So the first part of what Jesus says is in our day. It's happening, okay? The second part, he focuses on the great tribulation, which leads up to his second coming. Now, I'm a premillennialist. Another popular view is the amillennial view, which basically means that when Jesus died... The, 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 the seven-year tribulation was not meant to be taken literally. It's symbolic. And we are living in the, the tribulation now. From the time he died until the time he returns, we're in the tribulation. I take what Jesus is saying here, what, he, what Daniel said, what Revelation says, I take it literal. Now, it doesn't matter one way or the other. Um, what's most important is that we're ready when he comes back. Amen? I, mean, I don't think any of us will disagree with that. So I'm not on the planning committee for his return. I'm on the welcoming committee. Okay, praise God. Okay, I don't get all the planning, but I do lean that direction. So in that plan, in the premillennial view, the church will be raptured before the seven-year tribulation. So 
But right now, we're still here. The church is still here. Nobody's been raptured yet. So the first part of this teaching is about us. It's for us. It was for the disciples in their day. And once the church is raptured, then the second part of this kicks in. So let me give you an outline quickly of Jesus' teaching on the end times in Matthew 24. Here it is. You might want to write this down. First of all, in verses 4 through 14, Jesus describes six signs of birth pains that are coming. Birth pains. Now, I've had four kids. Thank the Lord for that. I was in the room with my wife for all four when they were born. Here's what we know, what a man, and a, ladies, I'm not, I don't know it like you do, right? So I'm not trying to speak for you or over you, okay? But my experience was there's two things. that G, Why did he use the term birth pangs? I think there's two reasons. Number one, when, when a woman has birth pangs, early on when the pains begin, they're lighter. They're not as heavy. Number two, they're not as frequent. They're spread out more. The longer she goes with birth pangs, the more intense the pains become and the closer together. Jesus is saying, referring to the end, at first, they're going to be spread out, these things that I'm going to talk about. And they're not going to be that intense. But as time goes forward, moving closer to the day of His return, for the rapture, well, actually, uh, in the tribulation. He's saying it's going to get worse. It's going to get intense, and it's going to be great pain, and it's going to be so great that you're going to just want to run from your rooftop and go hide. And uh, so we're, we're going to look. Here they are. Here's what we, we see here. These six signs of birth pains. Okay. First of all, in verses 4 and 5, he says there will be a deception by false Christs. It's not the real Christ. These are false Christs, and they will deceive people. So verses 4 and 5, he talks about deception by false Christ. Then he talks about in verse 6 and the first part of verse 7, dissension among the nations of the world. There's going to be dissensions among the nations of the world. Then in the latter part of verse 7, and all of verse 8, he talks about worldwide devastation. And then, in verse 9, he talks about the deliverance of believers to tribulation. Okay? So, obviously, at that point, the rapture has happened, if the premillennial view is true. Okay? So, deliverance of believers to tribulation in verse 9. Verse 10 through 13, defection of false believers. A great defection of false believers. And then finally, verse 14, the declaration of the gospel to the whole world. Okay, let me just read through those so that you have them written down. Deception by false Christ, dissension among the nations of the world, worldwide devastation, deliverance of believers to tribulation, defection of false believers, and the declaration of the gospel to the whole world. So if you look at verse 4, Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. Okay? And they will lead many astray. Now, not everybody comes and says they are the Christ, but they will say, I am the prophet of God. I've got the word of the Lord. I've got a fresh word, as if somehow somebody's discovered a, a revelation that hasn't already been discovered from Scripture. They put themselves in this position of being a, a, a super apostle, which is what Paul dealt with in the church in Philippi, these super apostles. But they had more understanding about the gospel. They were adding to the gospel. You need to be circumcised. That's got to happen. Okay? So that's what he's talking about here. Jesus warns that those who live in the during the end... The answer is, yes, we are in the end times. Understand this. The disciples, when they were still alive, after Jesus uh, went to heaven, ascended, 
They thought they were in the end times. And, and in a sense, they were. It's just that the birth pains weren't as great, and they were spread out more. It's still the same. But can you, from the time you were a kid, if you're older, until now, do you see any intensifying happening on the earth? Now, I can't speak for the world. I'm not, I mean, I've traveled the world, but I've never been out in the world long enough to speak to it. But I do know that there's great persecution occurring. Now, what's interesting, part of what Jesus is saying in that first part when he's speaking to disciples, later to the church, which is you and I, but in the first part to the disciples, 40 years later after he said those words, the Romans completely destroyed the temple and Jerusalem. They literally destroyed the temple. They took these, these uh, 40-foot, I looked it up because I couldn't believe it. I thought it was 20 feet. 40-foot long blocks of limestone that were 12 feet wide and 12 feet high. Now think about the size of that, 40 feet, okay? And they built the temple. They would only carve one stone at a time out of the lime quarry. And they would send it up and they would somehow move that to the temple site and place it. Then they would work on the next one. And everything fit so tightly that they, literally, archaeologists say, you would not have been able to slip a piece of paper between the joints. They didn't need concrete. They didn't need mortar. And then they would start building them up. Well, the temple was built that way. These white, beautiful limestone. From the sun looking at the temple, it was gorgeous. And then on the top of the temple, all the way around, was gold inlaid. So the sun hitting the white wall, the beauty, beauty of the temple, the gold shining in its brilliance, the temple. And the Romans took it down to powder because they burned for a long period of time those walls until they literally crumbled. Then they went in and they mined out all the melted gold in the rubble. That happened for about 40 years after Jesus said this. In 70 AD, that's when it happened. So part of his Matthew 24 uh, dialogue here and then sermon is dealing with what's going to happen in the lifetime of the disciples. But it's going to intensify from there. And it did. Okay? We know at 300 AD, uh, they were taking Christians, the, the Romans, and they were literally burning them at the stakes. They were using them as light posts coming into the city of Rome lighting them on fire using pitch. First of all, the pitch would have been hot in order to get the pitch to stick to a believer. And then they would light it. And literally, the Christian would become the, the torch of the streets of Rome, the lions feeding the Christians to the lions. We know that it intensifies. Don't think for a second it's any less today. I told you the story about the steamrolling of the children in North Korea, recorded in the Open Doors USA, uh, it's, it's there. And the parents standing across from their children in North Korea, they were a small group meeting in a home privately, quietly. They were found out. They were marched out that your child would stand across from you. And then they brought a steamroller, and they said to you as the adult, do you denounce God? And if you don't, we're going to steamroll your child. And literally, the, the, the article says that the first mother, first one in line, she looked across at her, I don't know if it was a boy or a girl, but her child, and she said, today you will be with God. Today you will be with God. She would not denounce her faith in Christ. And they steamrolled the children. And then they steamrolled the adults. Okay, so that's, that's Roman kind of stuff. That's some pretty intense birthing pain, if you ask me. Would you not agree? That's in our day, and it's happening. Those kind of things happen all the time. We don't hear about any of it. First of all, as, as, as Western Christians, I think a lot of us don't want to hear about it. It messes up my life to hear about that. I can't handle that. That's just too much. It's happening. Okay, so just getting back here, 
and just, just saying to you that, you know, uh, in verse 23, Matthew 24, 23, if you look down, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise, listen now, and perform great signs and wonders. This is not a reference to the Antichrist at the end. This is before the Great Tribulation. They will literally perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Now, they can't lead the elect astray, those who God has called, but if it were possible, they would. Now, we have people today who are doing signs and wonders. If you go back to, to Matthew 7, where Jesus is finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, did I not prophesy in your name? Now think about this. They did, you're talking to Jesus and you're saying, did I not do that? That man's not lying because he knows Jesus would know the lie. He literally did those signs. He did that. And then others will say, did I not prophesy? Did I not cast out demons? Did I not do many miracles? They did them. And Jesus said, I, I'll respond, I never knew you. Depart from me, those of you who practice lawlessness. So there are many people, that's what he's referring to here. These people have power. You say, well, what kind of power is it? It's demonic. They do have demonic power. Satan uses them with signs and wonders. That's why you don't want to be in a church that every week it's got to be a new sign, a new wonder. I, I begin to question whether that pastor is false or not if he's building the church on those things. Because in the end, those are the things that the, the false Christs are going to do. And maybe we already have false Christs, people that think we can get a big crowd and get good money in the church if we do some signs and wonders. And maybe they're, really ha they're real signs and wonders. They're not fake, but it's not by God. And so this is really serious stuff. And, and so I think we're in some of that now. I don't think any of these things only happen at the end until you get to the point where he talks about the desolation, abomination, desolation. But up until that point, we're seeing these things. It's just that they're not as intense as they will be in the end. Okay? Um, I had one of our boys in the church. He's probably, I'm going to say he's about 10 years old. Is that about right? And I won't, I won't give his name, but he came up after service. I had been walking around talking to people, and I think there was only about maybe 15 of us left in the whole building. And he came up and he sat down. Uh, he, he asked me, he said, Pastor Greg, can you answer this question for me? And he, it was a Bible question. I said, well, let's sit down together. Let's, let's talk. And so he just, I would give a biblical answer, a biblical response, and he would go, well, what about this? And he would give another question. His mother told me he's got a ton of questions that he's asking and he wants answers to. And I said, well, then, you, you email those to me, and I'll give a response to those. I'll still meet with him because I, I really enjoyed that with him. But he was so tuned in. Let me tell you what that means. He will have discernment as we move closer to the end. He'll be able to recognize what's false because he's searching what is genuine from Scripture. My, my grandson, my oldest grandson, he's in that search too. It's amazing. These children are searching for answers from God. And his little sisters were watching an animated show about Noah and Noah's Ark. And Easton said to his mom, my daughter, he said, Mom, we shouldn't be watching this. And she says, why? And he said, because those are not the dimensions of the real ark. And she said, well, honey, I, I, okay, but it's okay. We, you and I know that but it's okay. He goes, no, Pop said that we shouldn't add to or take away from the Bible. And she goes, he's driving me crazy. Would you please back off? No. But then 
they kept watching. Now listen to this. This is a child that God has given discernment because they pursued the Scripture. And in, later in that show, it, he, he said, Mom, turn it off. Why? It just showed two of the same animals, but are both female going up on the altar. Now, you think about our society today, how they slip in to our children. That was not the case ever in the ark. It was always a male and a female. And he picked up on it, and she turned it. So isn't it wonderful that our kid? well, we should be doing the same thing. The more we know the veracity of truth, the more we recognize what's not true. And that's what Jesus is addressing. Well, I'm not going to go into all. I would love to teach these six because they really are interesting. They're, it's a wonderful study. Um, in fact, right now on Friday mornings over at the Women's Refuge, I, I've been doing verse-by-verse study. We are in Matthew's Gospel, and we're covering chapter 24, so that's been a lot of fun. Uh, and one day we'll do Matthew again, but I taught it not too long back, maybe about seven, eight years ago. Uh, good stuff. The answer, the, the answer to the question is, yes, we are in the last days, but it's just not intense yet. It's growing, though. It's not going to get better on the earth. It will get worse. Okay? There's a downgrade, the sinfulness of man. What used to be spoken discreetly back in the 70s about sexual sin is now spoken loudly. Even from our White House, some of the things that are spoken about sexual sin. So I, I just think that's one of the shifts. Now, what's happening in America does not measure what's happening in the world, okay? We're just one country. Uh, I do think in the world, we're going to see it get worse too. So, okay. Um, any thoughts or questions as we close our time tonight? Because we've gone our hour and... Uh, it seems like it's let up a little bit. Maybe you can get out of here before the next cell comes in. I don't know. But any questions, any thoughts, comments? Uh, yes. Um, let me go there. Verse 10. Of Matthew 24? It's in verse 9? 10. Of Matthew 24. Okay, I, I've got an ESV. It says, And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And the NIV is a sentence for sentence translation, where the ESV and the NASB are word for word translations. So, and King James is a solid translation too. Yeah, so they're using the word offended, okay, where this one's just saying that they will fall away. Oh, big time. Well, they're not offended by sin. It's, it really is flipped around, right? They're, they're offended by righteousness, which lines up with Romans 1 that the reason God is bringing wrath, His wrath is being stored up against those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They push down the truth. They lift up what is unrighteous. That's the day we're in now, right? We are in that day. That's happening. It's going to intensify. Yeah. All right. Well, let's close our time in prayer. Father, tonight, thank you. This has been kind of a, a different study. Normally, we're just in a verse by verse, but Lord... Uh, all of it is your word, and we're thankful for your word. The things that I spoke that uh, are not important, what, what really is important are the, the, the explanations that were given from the word of God, that your word would be explained clearly and that people would be able to use that in their daily walk, in their, in their conformity to Christ. And we just give you thanks that you love us enough to save us from our sin and allow us to now share in the gospel by communicating to others, casting the seed on all types of soil so that people might be saved. It's not our work, it's your work. We just, we just are faithful to broadcast the seed. That's all you're asking of us. So we thank you for the privilege of, of, of letting us participate 
in the sharing of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. God bless each of you. Come back next week. We'll start in the book of Ruth. It's a wonderful study.